Baptist broadcast is coming to you quickly to discuss what I think is a pretty important issue. Um, and, you know, everything that the scriptures uh, speak on is important. Uh, God doesn't waste words, uh, we might say, and, and, and God always says something for a purpose. That's why when you're reading through, like, the Gospel of John, especially, John always includes these little details that... Uh, I think a lot of us uh, read past or read right over, and um, and we don't pay really any mind to them because they seem like such minute details. However, God doesn't waste words. Um, so in the Gospel of John, you'll see you'll see a lot of things that 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 seem minute. Uh, they don't seem that important. However, they are actually very crucial in tying together the redemptive theme from Old Testament to New Testament. Um, you know, when Jesus raises from the dead and, and um, Mary comes and mistakes him for the gardener, I think is very redemptively significant. And, um, and there are all sorts of things like that in, in John's gospel account, especially, but really all over the scriptures. And so we can't read past those details as if there's something that is insignificant. I once heard a debate between R. Scott Clark it was R. Scott Clark. No, 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 not R. Scott Clark. Um, uh, who is the guy who uh, writes a lot on precept now? He's one of Van Til's disciples. His name starts with an R as well. Um, it is, uh, uh, I have his books. I have his books. Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking out on his name. Um, but um, R. Scott. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. What we'll do is, is because it's going to bug me until I find it. All right. He wrote covenantal apologetics. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? K. Scott Oliphant. <laughs> I was getting R. Scott Clark confused with K. Scott Oliphant. Good grief. Okay. So anyway, I was watching a debate between him uh, I think that um, the guy who does cross-examined, um, who who wrote, I don't have enough faith to be an, an atheist. <laughs> I'm going to blink out again on another name. Uh, Frank, Frank Turek. Uh, between him and Frank Turek, um, and uh, I, don't, I, I forgot who else was involved in that debate. It may have been Jason Lyle or somebody like that, um, but Frank Turek I think was more moderating it, and and he asked, he was pressing uh, both of both of them, but especially K. Scott Oliphant because uh, because Dr. Oliphant rightly uh, said that we needed the Book of Nahum because Frank Turek's whole point was what would we miss if if we didn't have the Book of Nahum, and he was insinuating. That because we often read past something like the Book of Nahum as something that's insignificant and 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 uh, doesn't con- contribute, uh, as it were, to to God's overall redemptive narrative, uh, or so we think. Oftentimes it doesn't. 
uh, that we, we therefore really don't need it. And uh, Oliphant was saying, no, we do need it because God put it there. We don't get to determine what we need. We don't know what's best for ourselves. God knows what's best for us, and he put it there. And so uh, even if we can't immediately judge why we might need Nahum or, or the content that's in Nahum, we need it because God put it there. That's good enough for us. So, um, uh, you know, when, 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 when we're talking about things that have been included in the scriptures, we're never talking about anything that is useless or anything that is not important. Everything that the scriptures speak on is important. So, uh, how do I, what, where am I going with this? Well, I, uh, I, I, I stirred the pot a couple of times on social media yesterday. Um, and one of the posts I put, it says, uh, there is nothing sinful per se or sinful about slavery in and of itself. And what was I doing there? Uh, I wasn't, we have to first remember that God sanctioned and actually commanded slavery. So uh, God doesn't sin. There is no sin in God. Uh, we know this from other parts of Scripture, First um, John and elsewhere. Uh so God, God does not command something that is sinful for man to do. Um, that if he doesn't do it, he is then implicated in sin. Uh, God does not encourage or sa- positively sanction uh, with the end of benefiting his people something that is sinful. Okay, and uh, so that's the presupposition going into my post, and. Um, and with that being said, that you have to say that slavery is not in and of itself sinful. We have to be willing to, as Christians, to use the language of the scriptures. Um, and we can qualify it, we can kill it with, uh, with the death of a thousand nuances, but we have to be willing to use the language of scripture. I think we should be willing to use biblical language. Um, and to understand Scripture according to its own terms. I don't think that's wrong at all. And so, um, and to shrink back from that is to essentially say that you're ashamed of God's Word. So we have to hold high the Word of God and be willing to use its language and categories on the one hand. On the other hand, when I wrote that post, I was, we have to be very clear, I have to be very clear here, defining slavery not in the terms of the antebellum south i was defining slavery as it is defined and uh, exemplified in the scripture and scripture actually has quite a broad uh, definition of slavery there are different forms of slavery that are actually sanctioned in the scripture there are slaves of uh, there there are those who who voluntarily enter into a slave relationship they volunteer to be a bond servant, um, and this is <clears throat> to only last a certain period of time, and uh, it lasts six years, and then they're set free on the seventh year, the year of jubilee, um, and uh, then uh, there there is the kind of slavery that you can engage in and submit yourself unto voluntarily to pay off a debt. If you are poor, you have found yourself in an impoverished state, and you cannot take care of yourself, and you can enter into a work relationship with a uh, bond master and, um, and contractually agree to be a bond servant so that you don't starve to death, essentially. Uh, there, are, there were slaves in Israel that were acquired through conquest, there were, but 
and there were slaves purchased from sojourners and strangers that lived amongst them. Now, the, the, uh, the qualification I want to make with that is that all of those people who were brought in as slaves fell under the same law code and law system as the, uh, as the native Jew. Okay, so they were not looked upon as a different species of human being. They weren't looked upon as, as uh, a subclass, so to speak, even though their economic status was lower. They themselves were not looked upon as a, as a subclass, not, uh, not worthy or, or, or equipped to enjoy the, uh, the laws and privileges that come with being in the Israelite state. They weren't looked at like that. Um, and looking at the data, the primary source material, you have to conclude that the South was not engaging in slavery in, in that way. They were engaging in a sinful form of slavery that looked upon these who were slaves, and they weren't all blacks either. Um, they were, they were people from other parts of the world as well. Um, and there were whites, uh, a limited number, albeit, but there were whites that were involved in the slave trade. Um, and so it wasn't totally or utterly construed along the lines of race. Um, and, uh, but that doesn't really matter because the, um, the presupposition behind their slavery was, uh, not just a lower economic working class, uh, but it was a, um, a presupposition that the people who were in bondage were people who were incapable of living in a free society and pretty much incapable without qualification. So the argument wasn't, or at least it didn't start out as saying, well, we've brought these people over from a foreign land and, and they're not going to be, be able to assimilate within a, you know, a, a near to midterm span of time so that we're going to have to hold on to them and educate them. It wasn't like that. All right. A lot of people think that it was like that. It was, it was, no, these people are ruffians unqualifiedly. And thus we are morally justified because they are of a lower moral status. Uh, we are morally justified in holding them as, as bond servants indefinitely. All right. That was the early, mid, and late argumentation coming from the Southerner. Uh, R.L. Dabney actually makes that same argument. And uh, as much as I, I love him in other areas, I, I think that that's wrong. And, of course, my standard here is what man is created to be, namely image of God. And in being image of God, he is created to reflect the infinite freeness or liberty in God. All right. And we define liberty, of course, as the ability to imitate God, to image God, to, to obey God, in short. All right, that's what liberty is from a biblical perspective. Once you are uh, liberated, you are, you are free from sin and liberated unto Christ. Okay, so we say that, you know, in, in gospel terminology. Um, and, and God's law is, in many ways, an expression of what it looks like to be liberated or what it looks like to be free, what true freedom looks like is in God's law, especially how Christ exemplifies keeping that law. Okay, that's what liberty looks like. What brings us into bondage to the law and makes us slaves to it is our sin because we're condemned by it and so on and so forth. All right, so 
Um, if we define liberty as the ability to do what's right or the ability to imitate God, to be like God and to obey him, then liberty becomes very important within a political context because if men are kept by greater authorities from being able to imitate God, being able to obey God according to the dictates of conscience, then their God-given liberty has been obstructed, all right? And that is wrong. Uh, and, I, and I contend that this takes place with the social justice movement. The social justice movement wants to upend that liberty. Uh, the North, the, uh, the Yankee North, the Union, during the time of the Civil War, wanted to upend that liberty, at, albeit at a different level. And the South, uh, the Confederacy, wanted to upend that liberty. Um, and a lot of people don't understand this. They don't know this, but the, uh, the, the South, uh, many of the Southern states did not observe freedom of speech, not even for their common citizenry. So if, uh, if a newspaper, for example, wanted to publish against the slave trade, uh, they would be brought in for questioning and put up for trial uh, in the case of, of the state of Georgia. Um, and so there are instances of this of this happening all over the place with regard to the South. There were even people who were writing against the slave trade in the North, uh, like in in, uh, in 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 Boston, for example. And when they when they published when they published the newspaper uh, within the month, Georgia was trying to subpoena them to have them brought back for trial. Um, and this is a person who's living not in the South, right? This is a person who's living who's living quite a ways from. Uh, from Georgia, and uh, so you can see how how you know they would have they would have thought even about freedom of speech for their common citizenry. They were not observing, um, uh, they were not observing the First Amendment for um, uh, for their common citizenry. All right, and in that way they were they were contradicting even the Constitution of the United States uh, that they were bound to uphold. Um, and so there were definite problems in the South, and I think we ought to be careful not to, you know, we, we as Christians, we stand on Mount Zion and we, and we speak from there, and we engage these issues from there. And to, to come down and link arms with any one of these groups, I think, is a, is a risk in terms of, you know, you're, uh, you're essentially uh, causing yourselves to become liable to uh, the sins of these groups. So as Christians, uh, as a Christian, I'm not a social justice warrior. Social justice is inherently uh, contradictory to the scriptures. Um, I'm not in favor, you know, going, his, you know, historically here, I'm not in favor of uh, supporting Lincoln and what he did and his philosophy behind nullification and, and his kind of Jacksonian presuppositions there and, and nullifying, as it were, nullification. Um, uh, and he, by the way, just became a bigger version of what the states were doing. And he, he didn't like what the states were doing, but he consolidated power such to such that uh, the United States of America just became a bigger version of what some of those smaller states were doing that Lincoln opposed in the first place. So he kicked the can up the road. And then, of course, you have the southern states that are, that are squashing on freedom of speech and individual liberties directly. And all three of these groups squash individual liberty. Uh, in one way or another, by one implication or another, so we have to be careful of who we align ourselves with. Even the, so, so that that's that's kind of I wanted to come on and do a brief video uh, about uh, and podcast about what uh, what 
you know, my thoughts were behind those posts. I'm gearing up actually to preach on this on Sunday because I think it's uh, I think it's very important. We just had a conference on God and government, so this will kind of be like my contribution to that. And um, and so uh, and so those are those are my presuppositions and my thoughts behind what I posted. So God bless you guys. Hope this helps. Give me a thumbs down if it does and a thumbs up if it does. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button before you leave this page. God bless.